the scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34. And in your Bibles in front of you there, the church Bibles is on page 828, 828. But before we read the scriptures, let's, according to your customs here, let's pray together because you can hear the word of God and it can do nothing to you unless Holy Spirit is applying it to your hearts. So we're going to turn to the Lord now and ask for Holy Spirit to come and to fill us today. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we call no one our teacher but you. We trust no one like we trust you. We hope in no one like we hope in you. We long to see no one like we long to see you. And so we turn to you today, asking you now to send Holy Spirit to us in a special way. May he come and fill every heart in this room so that eyes may be open to see your truth, ears unstopped to hear you speak, so that hearts can be softened, so that we will love you and serve you more faithfully. If you grant this, Lord Jesus, we will be sure to give you the praise and, for, and the honor for everything good that happens during this time. Amen. Matthew chapter 23, 22, rather, beginning in verse 34. Hear now the word of God. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, if someone were to ask you, who's your favorite child, what would you say? That's a hard one, isn't it? You probably have one, but it's a hard thing to admit. Because you know that, at least in theory, you're, all your children are supposed to be precious to you, and all of them are supposed to be special, and you're not supposed to love one more than another, and so on and so forth. Uh, well, in many ways, when Jesus, in this scene here, was asked to choose from all the commandments and all of the Bible, which is the greatest one, they were asking him, tell us what's your favorite verse in the Bible. Now, that's a hard one, too. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, you know that because for you, all of the Bible is precious, just like all your children are precious, and you're never supposed to like one more than another. So Jesus faces a in many respects, a perplexing issue. How do I, out of all the passages in the Bible, respond to this question, which is the greatest of all the passages in the Bible? They were trying to trick him, much like maybe your own children try to trick you, or as I remember one time, my oldest granddaughter, after the birth of the second grandchild, said, Pops, who's your favorite grandchild? And you know the trick, you always say, well, you're my favorite first grandchild. That wasn't good enough for her, but it was all she was going to get. Because to have to choose among things that are precious to you is a very, very difficult thing to do. But Jesus did it. 
he did it. He actually said, let me tell you what the greatest piece of all the Bible is, the most important, the one that should abide in the heart of every single follower of Jesus every moment of every day. And this is what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's a quotation from the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it was familiar to the people with whom Jesus was speaking that day because that verse, love the Lord your God, comes just before something that every Jewish person in the world knows and has recited for millennia. And that, you've probably heard it too, if they call it the Shema, which basically goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yes, you've heard that before. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So they were familiar with this passage that Jesus quoted. They understood it was important. But man, was it hard for him and for them to figure out which of all the verses in the Bible, even their Bible, the Old Testament, which is the most important? And this is something that the rabbis disagreed over. This is something they argued about, and they just loved controversy in Jesus' day, just like you and I love controversy. And so they would say, well, this first, no, no, this first, no, this first. So there was no way Jesus could win. There was no way he could get everybody in the group to agree with him, but he chose one nevertheless. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Why did he choose that one? I suspect if I were to ask you, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? You probably would not come up with that one. Fair enough? You might say John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You might have that one. There might be another one here and there, probably from the New Testament in all likelihood. But even if you were brave enough to venture and say, well, this is my favorite Old Testament verse, this is probably not the one you would choose. So why did Jesus choose it? It's going to sound strange, but let me go ahead and say it to you. The reason he chose it is because of that four-letter word, starts with an L, ends with an E, that he finds in this passage, you shall love the Lord your God. Why was that so important to Jesus? It's because he knew something, both about the book of Deuteronomy, way back in the days of Moses, thousands of years before him, a thousand, fifteen hundred years before him, but he also knew something about society in his own day. And something that you and I often don't know that's in the background of this verse, you shall love the Lord your God. When you think about love today, what do you think about? What comes, what pops into your head? What does it mean to love somebody or to love something? Well, we use that word love for all kinds of things, don't we? I love my children. I love my spouse. I love my country. I love pizza. Yeah, we can use it in all kinds of ways, and they did too in the world of Deuteronomy and in the world of Jesus. They would talk about loving pizza too if they were in Italy. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is that Jesus chose this verse because he knew what it meant in the book of Deuteronomy and what it also meant in his day, and it was this. It's weird, but here it comes. This was the favorite commandment of human kings to give to their empires. 
Love was the language of politics in those days. Great kings who would conquer massive territories would actually write, and we have their writings that say this, that the number one thing they wanted everyone in their empires to do was to love them. Now, can you imagine a politician standing up in front of you on television and saying, now, the most important thing I want from you is for you to love me. You go, what? You're crazy. I don't love you. I voted for you, but I don't love you. That's for sure. But this is exactly what kings, human kings, did in the world of Moses and also in the world of Jesus. And that was to say that the number one thing I want you to do in my kingdom, in my empire, is to love me. Now, again, it was very clear what that meant to everyone. It didn't mean that they were to love him like you love pizza or maybe like you love LSU or hate LSU, whichever it is. No, it wasn't that kind of thing. This is what the politicians, the kings of the ancient world meant when they said, I want you to love me. They meant, I want you to have loving devotion, loving loyalty to me because of all the wonderful things I have done for you. That may be one reason why modern politicians don't ask us to love them because they may have a hard time telling us all the wonderful things they've done for us. But what the kings of the ancient world did was they would list off all the wonderful, wonderful things they had done for their people, and they would say, now, out of gratitude, I want you to love me with loyal love, with devotion to me. It was not by any means, I simply want you to obey me. Moses and Jesus could have said, you shall obey the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He could have said that. He even could have said, I want you to serve me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He could have said that. I want you to do the right thing. But it's not what those kings in the ancient world wanted. And it was not what the God of heaven and earth wanted from Israel in the days of Moses. Nor was it what Jesus wants for his disciples. That we simply do the right thing. That we obey him. What does Jesus want for his disciples? He wants them to realize the good things God has done for us, and out of gratitude to have loving loyalty and devotion to God. That's what he wants from us, and that's what he's deserved. Think about your life for just a minute. I know everyone in here has sorrows and troubles, don't you? disappointments and hardships that you face. I understand that. I do too. They're mammoth. They're innumerable. But you know, the truth of the matter is, no matter how bad your life is or has been, you can think about things in your life that are good also. And you can see them if you can just hit the pause button on the complaints and the sorrows and think for just a moment of the good things that have been yours in this life. Now, in a group this size, there are probably people here who are not followers of Jesus, but this applies to you too. You can even look at your life and you can say, yeah, there are good things in my life, and you can list them off. 
They may be things like, well, I've got a good job, or I've got a good family, or my health has been good, at least for the first 30 years or so. My, my health has been good. Um, things are good. I live in a country where you couldn't get any better than this one. Where life is good for people. There's a wholesomeness to life. No matter how troubling, no matter what great trials you and I face, and we all do, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, the truth of the matter is there are good things in your life. Now, back up from that for a moment and try to honestly answer this question. How many of those things did you produce or how many of those things were given to you? And as you think about the list of good things in your life, you would have to admit, at least to some degree, some of the best things in life were free. That they were given to you by the God of heaven and earth. Even if you don't know his name, even if you don't follow Jesus, it would be hard to deny that there are things in your life that you were just thrown into, that you had practically nothing to do with. This is what Christians call the grace and the mercy of God. The things in your life that you could name that have been beneficial and good and wondrous for which you and I owe grateful gratitude, loyal love, devotion to God. Now, I hear you've been hop, skipping, and jumping through the book of Exodus, those early chapters, the story of Moses and his young days and, you know, the basket and all that business, right? You know those stories. Think about that. Why are those stories in the Bible? The reason they're in the Bible is because they're a prelude to something that comes up in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus, and that's the giving of the Ten Commandments. They're the prelude. And what's that prelude full of? All kinds of things that God did for his people that they simply could not have done for themselves. They were slaves in Egypt. They were under the tyranny of human pharaohs and the demonic, evil, false gods they served. And they could not escape on their own. They could not find a way to get away on their own. And so the stories of the book of Exodus tell us that what God did was he intervened. He did things for them that they could not do. Well, maybe you're here today and you need to be reminded, whether you're a believer or not, a follower or not, you need to be reminded that what you've made of life has been made on something that has been given to you by the hand of God himself. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have received the greatest gift a human being could possibly receive, and that is deliverance from the judgment of God, not because you are good, not because you are able to earn it, not because you are even able to contribute to it, but simply because of the free hand of God's mercy. That's why you're here today. It's God's mercy and kindness to you that brought you to a church today. It's why you have the kinds of parents you have who have raised you up in the ways of Christ. It's the mercy of God. If you are in a good marriage, it's the mercy of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's the mercy of God. And for this reason, Jesus could boldly say, the most important commandment in all of the Bible is this. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What else could you possibly do when you realize how much God has done for you? But notice something. Neither Moses nor Jesus said, you should love with gratitude the Lord a little bit. No, he said, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, everything you've got from the inside out. I have a friend who, whom I met just two years ago in Indonesia. He was an American who had immigrated to Indonesia. Can you imagine such a thing as that? By way of India. Well, he was from a Jewish family in New York, and he immigrated over to India first, became Hindu, and then moved to Bali, Indonesia, where that's the popular religion. And as I met him and got to know him a little bit, one of the funniest things he said to me, because he didn't know anything about the Christian faith at all, I mean nothing, he said to me, you know, Rich, I know you're a Christian, and I just want you to know this, I love Jesus a lot. I got a picture of him that I've been carrying in my billfold for the last 25 years. And he pulled it out. It was a little picture of Jesus. And I love Jesus, but I also love other gods too. And he started listing off some of the Hindu gods. Jesus is among them. It's very important to me, this Jesus. I got his picture right here in my billfold. It's the only picture of a god I have. And I looked at him and I said, well, Charlie, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad you know a little bit about Jesus, but let me tell you something a little more about him. What's that? He said, do you know what the sign read that was across the, at the top, over Jesus' head on the cross? And he said, no, I don't know anything about that. He said, this is what it said, the king, the king, the king of the Jews. I said, that's what makes Jesus different. It is he's the king. And as the king, he does not require simply, like Jesus a little bit, simply have a place for religion in your life because that'll make you a better person. Or to love God or love Jesus in, like you would if you had a picture of him in your billfold. But rather, when he's your king, you are to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Can you say that about yourself today? that you realize how much in life has been given to you. And because of that, your heart simply wells up with love and gratitude and service to God. Or has Jesus become a little picture in your billfold? So we can understand why Jesus would pick this verse. Out of all his favorite grandchildren, I like this one the best. It's a good thing because there are lots of rules in the Bible, if you haven't noticed, lots of them. But there's one, it's a hard thing, by the way, because there's so many, you can't remember them all. But there's one you can remember. And it's one that's to be at the front of your mind every single day. Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We understand why he chose that one. That's good. But Jesus at this moment is probably like one of those people you just hate to talk with. You ever had people in your life that you ask them a simple question and they just can't stop talking? You ever had that? This is one of the reasons I love texting. I just love texting because you can ask a question and you get a straight answer. And they don't go on and on and on and on. Now, I know some of you are thinking about your husbands or thinking about your wives right now. You know, you ask just a simple question. Hey, where would you like to go to lunch today? And they end up talking about 5,000 things before the conversation is over. And you're saying that, no, well, can we get back to the first question, which is, uh, where are we going to go to lunch today? Yeah, texting is great for that because it makes people say things quickly and right to the point. Well, did you notice what Jesus was asked? He was asked, tell us what the greatest commandment is. And his answer was, love the Lord. But did you notice, nobody asked him to talk about another commandment. But he said, like some of your friends, I can't stop talking about number one. I can't stop talking with number one. There's something else I have to add to this. And you read it just a few moments ago. And the second greatest commandment is like unto the first You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Frankly, I wish he had just stopped at number one because I would feel pretty good. I I realize how much mercy and grace God has given to me. It's constantly before me because of my failures, because of my weaknesses. I realize that. But this second one, I don't like it too much. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why did he do that? Well, this will make you surprised, perhaps. But remember how I said in the ancient world, the great kings would always tell their empires, I want you to love me. I want you to be grateful to me for all I've done for you. But there was something else they would almost always say. You ready for it? Here it comes. Everybody in my empire, I want you to love each other. That's unbelievable, isn't it? But the truth of the matter is, if you had a kingdom, if you were king, the first thing you want to make sure happens in your kingdom is for people to be loyal to you. But the second thing you want all these people in your kingdom to do is to be loyal to each other. So that if one state has a flood, all the other states come and help out. You've seen that recently, haven't you? If there's a famine in one country in the empire, well, then other countries will pitch in. If they don't have food, then you send food. If there's a war, you send your soldiers to fight alongside of them. you got to stick together is what these great emperors were saying, these great kings. And that's what Jesus is saying to us too. Now you can imagine how hard that would have been in those secular empires. It'd be like trying to get people from Louisiana to cooperate with people from New York City. Is that a hard one? Yeah, to come to their aid because people that are spread apart from each other and have different points of views, they just generally don't like to help each other out. I suspect you'd send somebody to Texas before you'd send them to Maine to help out even in a natural disaster. But that's what kings were facing in the ancient world, and that's what Jesus faces 
in his kingdom also. The pious, the holy ones, you know, the super religious ones, they're all into loving God. Have you noticed? But they're not in, they're not all in on this business of loving your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't believe that, just think about the way things were this morning when you came to church. You might have had the biggest argument you've had all week on your way to church. You're late again. No, I'm not. Yes, we are. You're embarrassing me. Be quiet, kids. Stop fighting with that. Reach back and smack them across the... You may have had the biggest argument in the world that you've ever had this morning on your way to church. But man, when pastor got up and said, let's sing, you like a holy person to open up that book and started singing with your heart. See, it's easy to say, I love God and to hate your neighbor. It's easy. But the Apostle John in his first epistle said this to the people that were having that struggle. He said, do not talk to me about loving God whom you do not see if you do not love your neighbor whom you do see. Loyalty to our Jesus means all the laws, all the commandments have a focus, have a direction to them. And what are those loving laws that God has given to us? What's the focus of them? All the many rules of the Bible, they're designed as ways for you to show loving loyalty to others. Kindness, patience, locking arms with others because we stand together. We stand together as one united kingdom under one head, under one king, our King Jesus, who said that a house divided against itself will not stand. And that's not the way it's going to be in my kingdom. My people are going to stand with each other. How's that going for you? You know, the truth of the matter is, it's relatively easy to love God because he's so good. But the people you and I deal with every single day, they ain't so good, are they? And there's the test. If you love your king, you'll love your neighbor. You'll bless those who curse you. You won't seek revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You'll be patient with people. You'll be kind to them. And you know what that means on a day-to-day basis. It means when you're walking out at the mall, you're at Walmart or some other store, and you see somebody that's coming toward you. If they look like you and talk like you, if they're the kinds of people that you would want to live next door to you in your neighborhood, well, we all know what you do. You look them in the eye, you nod your head, say, hey, how you doing? You're friendly, you're kind, you're patient with people like that. The hard task is when you see people coming toward you that don't look like you, that don't talk like you, that don't have the priorities in life that you have. And you know the natural tendency. I have it too. You're walking down the aisle pushing your cart, and that kind of person comes toward you. And all of a sudden, it's very interesting how many brands of cornflakes you can find on the shelf. Well, look at that. 
Ah, man, there must be 20 of them right here. And turn your back on the one that's hard to love. As you go through the Ten Commandments in the weeks to come, you're going to find that every single one of the Ten Commandments calls us to do two things, to love God himself with our whole hearts. But as you're going to also find that every single one of those Ten Commandments calls you and me to love our neighbors as ourselves. Listen for it. Because your king, your king Jesus, wants his church to be one. He wants his kingdom to be united. And can we not see why? In his day, the church was small. It was insignificant. The kingdom of Jesus was fragile. Because there was so much opposition, people who loved Jesus just had to stand with each other. They had to. It was survival. But have you noticed today? Have you noticed today that even in our own country, that day is coming back? That day is coming back to you and me and our children and our grandchildren so that we have to learn like the early church did once again, to stand together in loyal service to our God. Whether they're near or far, whether they are of your socioeconomic class or not, whether they speak your language or not, Jesus says, look, you understand the greatest commandment, but I can't stop talking with that. I can't just talk about that one. There's a second one. And it's like the first one, love your neighbor as yourself. So, which of all your children or grandchildren is your favorite? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? If you had to pick one, which one would you pick? That's what they asked Jesus that day. Tell us the greatest one of all. And that was easy. Love the Lord your God. But he said, I can't stop with that one. Because if I do, you'll die in your self-righteousness. The second one is just like it. From the book of Leviticus, of all books to choose. From the book of Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we delight in you and we honor you. We bow before you and we worship you because your spirit has been with us. Now we pray that Holy Spirit will empower us with the same power he used to resurrect you from the dead. Resurrect us into newness of life so that we may be a people who love our God in heaven and who love our In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world today as we say together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father.